I've been traveling for a few weeks, which is why we've had this little break in action. But I'm back, and we're going to drop right in. This is a small episode describing a small event, but I'm spending the time here because this event has garnered a lot of attention, and has retained a bit of a legacy, and has some interesting backstory to it. So let's get to it. There are many movies that I loved as a kid. My age, which I'll reveal is 30, uh, placed me in this beautiful sweet spot of the Disney Channel made-for-TV movies. I loved them. I could probably give you a shot-by-shot recap of half of them. But what I will never do is rewatch them. I made that mistake with my childhood classic favorite movie, Brink. A story about a gang of rollerbladers. That's probably all the movie needs here as a way of an explanation. The plot is almost self-evident. I remember loving it, but re-watching it revealed so many flaws that I turned it off in mid-viewing. Now, other movies have definitely retained the quality that my childish eyes granted them. Jurassic Park is and will always be my favorite movie. And the quality diminished in the transition from my childhood eyes to my adult eyes is non-existent. And I think this is also true of historical events. Sometimes we get the Disney Channel version of a historical figure and events as a kid, like Christopher Columbus. And then we're shocked when you arrive at adulthood, to discover how bad or inaccurate those stories were. Other stories, when told with all the teeth, so to speak, we find retain their value. When I was a kid, Francis Drake, or Sir Francis Drake, was, per- was portrayed as a swashbuckling explorer. Now we'll see if that's true. Let's start by doing a brief biological sketch of Drake, and then we'll move on to talking about his relevance for this podcast on California. Drake was born in Tavistock, England, and was the oldest of 12 sons. It's a lot of boys. Drake's father was a farmer. The family was of a religious minority and were forced to flee their home during Drake's childhood. Drake's father became an ordained minister and apprenticed Francis to his neighbor, who had a ship that transported merchandise to France. Starting in 18, Drake began making larger voyages, including to Africa, Guinea, and even the, quote, New World. Drake had an interesting relationship with the Spanish. At first, it was a business relationship. Drake sold them slaves, But in 1568, there was a fleet that was attacked by Spanish warships, or his fleet, which began this adversarial relationship. So after that, Drake began to participate in raids and attacks against Spanish towns to seek both revenge and treasure. In one raid near Panama, Drake is said to have captured upwards of 20 tons of gold and silver, and then buried it, which led to many of the stories of pirates and buried treasure. A lot of those can be traced back to Drake. In 
After the raids, when Drake returned to Plymouth, his home base, England had signed a treaty with Spain, ending hostilities effectively between the countries, um, also concurrently ending Drake's pirate career. Or one would think. In spite of that and the treaty, uh, Elizabeth sent Drake on a mission, a secret mission, well, for the most part, to disrupt Spanish colonies located on the Pacific coasts of America, of the Americas, north and south. Now, this expedition was not fun. Drake had a rough journey going across the Atlantic Ocean and actually executed his first mate after accusing him of sorcery and mutiny. Perhaps Drake did not like being questioned or sharing power. And he promptly had that man beheaded and was on his way. Only three of the five ships that departed England made it to the Pacific Ocean. In the Pacific, one of his ships was destroyed in a storm, while another decided to turn back after leave and leaving only Drake on his one remaining ship. Drake navigated up the coast of South America, discovering islands and helpful herbs. The coast. He fought everyone he encountered. In fact, near Lima, Peru, Drake had his one of his most lucrative raids of his career, capturing a ship that had 80 pounds of jewels and gold, including a store of royal plates and cutlery, and nearly 26 tons of silver. After this adventure, Drake continued north, arriving likely around the 38th parallel, which if you Google is the line that cuts Korea into the north and south, but also corresponds to the Bay of San Francisco. Drake is said to have found a serviceable port, which we should likely take to mean that he discovered San Francisco Bay. If you remember from the episode on Cabrillo, Cabrillo bypassed the bay and missed that opening, uh, that opening space to take you into the bay. Um, and we're not exactly sure, actually, if Drake went all the way into the bay because he really only, according to what we know from the sources, stayed around Point Reyes, which is not actually in the bay, but this is all speculation. Now, there are a few problems with uh, saying definitively that he was here, and there's a few reasons why we need to be hesitant about Drake's discovery. For one, England and Spain were engaged in a type of Cold War. And in a Cold War, information and disinformation are power. It is believed that Drake may have even modified some of his maps to hide the information from prying Spanish eyes. And so Drake, in his correspondence as well as the maps he brought back, the accuracy is questionable. We must take that into account. Nevertheless, we'll continue our story. So Drake reportedly landed on the coast near Point Reyes on June 17, 1579. He referred to the land he quoted, he quote discovered as New Albion. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I think so. He chose that name because the terrain reminded him of home, and Albion was an archaic name for England, his homeland. Then, Drake did what every great explorer does. Assume God had granted them land, and so he placed an engraved plaque 
on a wood post claiming this land for England. Now, while I think it would be easy to laugh this off or add it to the collection of the sins of the imperial white people, it is just a bit more than that. It's hard for us modern people today to really feel like we're exploring or in a new place. These explorers were generally without maps or a sense of what they were walking into. It really was, and the name makes sense, a new world. And it would have remained a positive tale of exploration if there weren't people there in the way of them claiming the new land for England. Well, while Drake was there near Point Reyes, he is said to meet the Miwok people. Um, the coastal Miwok would have shared a lot of similarities with the Talawa, who we've talked about before in episode two. And, some, and from our limited understanding of what went down while he was there, it seems generally to have been a peaceful interaction between the groups. Drake was not interested in conflict with this particular group. Now, the purpose of their stay near Point Reyes was boat repair. This introduced me to the t concept of careening, which is the process of pulling a boat towards shore on high tide, and during low tide, when the water recedes, making repairs to the hull of the ship, which is an ingenious thing. This is a common practice for repairs when sailors did not have access to a dry dock. A dry dock is like a basin or a vessel where boats would float in and then drain the water. The process of careening was necessary for individuals like pirates who were unable to use dry docks because they were operating outside the law. The kinds of things you might do while you're careening a ship are, one, removing organic matter that might lead to rot, like barnacles, or repairing damage from battle, like cannon holes, or gun holes, or some damage from rocks, or something along those lines. Drake and his crew worked on this for over a month, and they didn't actually leave until July 23rd. Now, there is a, a myth, or somewhat of a myth, that has been propagated that Drake left behind men to form a test colony. Apparently, there is little credence in this theory. However, according to the sources, it is confirmed that Drake did leave a sick pilot, a guy that actually, you know, held the, held the wheel. Um, he was too sick to return, and the pilot, instead of dying after being left alone in this new world, spent four years walking to Mexico. Now, as much as I'd like to believe this story, it sounds a little far-fetched. But it would be cool if it was true. Now, there's another debunked myth in a hilarious story surrounding Drake's brass plate that he left claiming the land for England. In the 1930s, a brass plate actually emerged and discoverers claim that it was the original plate itself. What had actually happened was a playful group of California history buffs created the plaque and deposited it in Marin, hoping that a particular historian who was obsessed with the plaque would find it. The plate was, in fact, found by the chauffeur of a banker who was hunting in the area. The banker took the plaque with him, but promptly forgot about it. 
and rediscovered it a few weeks later while he was cleaning his car and consequently threw it on the side of the road when he decided it wasn't worth anything. The plate was found three years later by a shopkeeper and through a series of connections, the plaque found its way into the hands of the original target of the hoax to begin with, a man named Herbert Eugene Bolton. Now, Bolton is a famous student of Frederick Jackson Turner, the guy that came up with a theory, that, the frontier uh, theory for explaining America. And Bolton was a student of his, and he, he had a slightly different theory that he came up with that you can't really study U.S. history without looking at the United States as one of the many countries that rebelled against a European overlord. And so he believes that we need to look at history through that lens. Anyway, um, Bolton had wanted to find this plate. It was for his whole professional career. And then suddenly, one day, it just dropped into his lap. Now, the conspirators who created this uh, prank had realized pretty quickly that they'd gone too far. But they also realized that if they admitted what they'd done publicly, the situation could be really bad. Consequently, they began to criticize the quality of the plaque, hoping that their critiques would lead Bolton to discredit him himself, and they would dodge a bullet. He didn't. Bolton continued to believe in the authenticity of the plaque until the 1970s when a group of scientists tested the plaque uh, in preparation for the 400-year anniversary of Drake's landing. The scientists discovered inconsistencies with the plaque and other samples of Elizabethan metals. And the actual origins of the prank were not revealed until 2003. Now, in some ways, I think this is a good metaphor for a a lot of speculation about these historical events, where there's sparse historical evidence and a lot of mythologizing. People make events into whatever they want it to be. And that's why I think it's the best approach with these stories to operate with a healthy amount of skepticism. Oftentimes, these stories that we tell about these events have more to do with us than probably what actually happened. Now, the area that Drake landed, again, is called Point Reyes. It's a beautiful strip of coast along the northwest of the Golden Gate Bridge. And if you look at the cliffs, you can understand why Drake believed that they had discovered the New England. Drake's Bay was officially recognized as a historical landmark by Secretary of State Ken Salazar in 2012. And it's a beautiful place to visit, even beyond its historical significance. I recommend going. Next time, we're going to cover a few different areas in the lead-up to talking about the first permanent settlement in California. We'll talk about um, Sebastian Vizcano Vizcano, uh, and his journey to Monterey. We'll talk about Spanish trade routes along California to China. And then we'll begin the story of the permanent settlements. See you later.